May peace be with you. If you stick around at the end, there's more information about our community and how to find us. And now, here's this week's Centering Scripture, followed by the sermon. Our first scripture readings are from Psalm 46 and Psalm 119. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. O God, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. And from the New Testament, Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. <laughs> All right, please pray with me. Gracious God, may these ancient words of Scripture become living word in our lives that we might serve you with faithfulness and joy and hope. Amen. All right. Anybody need a word of hope these days? There we go. Yeah, between the news and the weather, I thought about just doing an hour of comedy. <laughs> but uh, it's my last Sunday with you. And uh, so I have a lot to say, so settle in. <laughs> no, it's, I've, I've cut it down. It's under an hour now. Anyhow. I intended to preach a sermon on the topic of hope a year ago. It was all done. And it was when our daughter Angie was sick. And she went in the hospital on a Tuesday. And you stick a 27-year-old in the hospital, you think two days there should be better. And she got sicker and sicker and sicker every day. And by late in the week, she was on a ventilator in ICU and I knew I wasn't going to be preaching Sunday. And I asked Nora, and she jumped in. She said, send me what you got. So I sent her my whole sermon, and she used some of it, and she changed some, of course, make it her own. And so I'm going to now today address this. And I want to say uh, Angie's doing absolutely great. So thank you for your prayers on that. And she's, she uh, goes to work every day. She works with kids on the autism, way on the autism spectrum. Sunday mornings, she heads up the nursery at Oak Grove Presbyterian Church, and uh, she's just doing great. So I don't need to list the reasons why we need hope, but let's recognize that our sense of anxiety about the world is obviously fueled by the 24-hour news cycle. Even 20 years ago, we were not bombarded by news of tragedies. And think of 1850. The only bad stuff you knew about was in your neighborhood. And you could do something about it. You could cook a meal, watch the kids, raise a barn, plow the fields. And today we're just a fire hose of bad news, most of which we can do nothing about.
Now I want to today share with you how in many ways things are objectively much better than they were just a few years ago and in fact than they have ever been in the history of humankind. I know it's hard to believe, hear me out. Recognizing that climate change is the cloud that hangs over everything. You know, we don't solve that, the rest doesn't matter. There are reasons for hope even in the midst of that. You got a four page handout in your bulletin that please read later. Uh, and that's just, if you Google reasons for hope regarding climate change, I mean, it's, it's hundreds of things going on around the world. But I'm not being Pollyannish about it. It's, it's dire, and we gotta be steadfast and creative and diligent and sacrificial to save this planet for our grandchildren. Now, I am old. One of the good things, and there are a lot of good things about being old, but one of them is perspective. When I was young, okay, boomer. Okay, hear me out. When I was young, my home congregation had one female elder. I thought that was right. When I was young, how many women were in the U.S. Senate? One, Margaret Chase Smith. There were no female news anchors, no female talk show hosts. There was no Me Too movement. And women were more often than today treated horribly. In every one of the examples I'm going to give you, we have a long ways to go, okay? I'm not arguing that. Every single one, long ways to go, but things have come a long ways. When I was 12, 10 years old, 1963, my dad took my five-year-old brother and I, and me, to Florida for a 10-day vacation. And we went to the waterfront and there were two sets of drinking fountains. One with a sign that said white, another with a sign that said colored. That evening at the restaurant, I noticed a little placard on each table. It said, we reserve the right to refuse service to anyone. I asked my dad, what does that mean? And he quietly said, it means they don't serve Negroes. And that was seared into my 10-year-old brain and heart. And of course, there were no people of color in the Senate, no people of color as talk show hosts, as news anchors. I remember the first time I saw a TV commercial featuring a black person. Wow, that's different and cool. There was no Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, no Juneteenth federal holiday. A black president was unimaginable. President Biden has appointed the most diverse set of judges ever. When I was young, nothing was handicapped accessible. No doors, no parking spaces, ramps, nothing. When I was young, boys in Bloomington Junior High gym class had to swim naked. No suits allowed. And no, I do not know why. And yes, I do have PTSD. 
When I was young, the only sport for girls in my high school was gymnastics. This was before Title IX. When I was young, bullying in school went unchecked and was occasionally perpetrated by the teachers. It was open season on anyone who was different. Thus, I knew no gay people. That is, that I knew were gay. When I was young, the thought of legalized same-sex marriage seemed no more likely than time travel. In fact, it seemed less likely because I'd heard of time travel. <laughs> clergy misconduct. Until very recently, clergy misconduct was dealt with by shuffling the pastor off to another congregation. Over and over. Now some statistics. The violent crime rate in the U.S. compared to 30 years ago is what? Half. Half of what it was 30 years ago. When I was born, 50% of the people in the world could not read. 50%. Today that's 14%. And what's really encouraging is the rate of literacy among girls. Because we all know that when a girl is educated, her family does better, the village does better, her country does better, the world does better. Female literacy at an unmatched rate today. Wars and terrorism continue to rage all around the world. There are a host of conflicts and thousands of people being killed. And these are not just statistics on a chart. Every single death is a tragedy. But the rate of death from war and terrorism is the lowest it has ever been in human history. By a mile. In the 1950s, this is after World War II, the rate of death from violence in conflicts, terrorism, was 25 times what it is today. Not 25% less, 25 times. You have much less chance of being killed in a war or a terrorist attack than at any other time in history. Much less. You wouldn't know that from watching the news. Perhaps most significant of all, rates of extreme poverty have drastically fallen in recent decades. When I was born, 50% of the world lived in extreme poverty. Not poverty the way the US government talks about it, but poverty as in edge of starvation. 50% of the world. Today that's 11%. It should be 0%. It's a world where we have enough food. But we have learned that poverty is not inevitable. The environment remains a huge concern. But when I was young, some rivers in the U.S. were so polluted, they caught on fire. Remember that? Whew. There was no environmental protection agency closer to home. When I was a kid, you could swim in Lake Minnetonka. But there were seven communities that discharged their effluent into the lake. 
I mean, treated, it wasn't raw sewage, but high levels of phosphorus, for which we're still paying the price. But, I mean, comparatively, that lake is so clean now, evidenced by dozens of nesting pairs of loons every year. Come a long ways. The biggest reason for hope on the environmental front is that young people are so energized today. That gives me hope. Yes, there are a lot of challenges for the church, capital C. As you have heard from Nora and Brennan, the, the church, the worldwide church, goes through a giant transformation about every 500 years. And what was going on 500 years ago? Reformation. Protestant Reformation in Europe. Today we're undergoing a huge transformation. That Protestant Reformation, full of chaos, but it resulted in much better churches, both the Roman Catholic Church and the Reformers. And we're in a transformation today. And we need to be in a transformation today. But first, let's remember, it's the church in Western Europe and the U.S. that is in decline. The church in the Southern Hemisphere, which for decades now has been the center of, the, of Christendom, is thriving. Second, Pope Francis. Pope Francis is, to me, a living miracle. How did that bunch of conservative cardinals elect this Argentinian rabble-rouser? It's enough to make you believe in God. <laughs> Third, about 10 years ago, the Presbyterian Church launched an effort to start 1,001 new worshiping communities. Do you know about that? 1,001 new worshiping communities, 10 years ago. They didn't make it. Started about 600, most of whom are still going despite the pandemic. You know, the pandemic was hard on established churches, you can imagine. And, and, and they specifically didn't call them churches, but new worshiping communities. And there are hundreds of these, three in the Twin Cities, hundreds of them around the country. And the common denominator is, are several things, almost all served by part-time clergy who have other jobs or supported by a spouse. Almost all meet in non-church buildings, bars, funeral homes, schools. Almost all have a majority of people who've never been in church before. And everyone is laser-focused on mission. Just one example I recently read about. There's a new, large, low-income housing apartment building in Chicago. And there's a group of folks who have been meeting for a little while, and their focus is service to that community in that large, low-income housing building. And they have an office there for Sunday worship. They use the community space. And it's just exciting. Just exciting. So you can Google it, 1,001 New Worshiping Communities. And that, I think, is the model for the church in the United States going forward. Gives me hope. And I read about it in the Presbyterian Mission Yearbook of Prayer. 
Have you heard of that? Okay. It's online now. It used to come out in a book every year. It's online, which is great. And you just, uh, you can Google it at presbyterianmission.org. Not now, Roger. He was just getting his handkerchief out of there. <laughs> Sorry. You can use your handkerchief. <laughs> Presbyterianmission.org. And every day, there is an article, short article with photos about something cool going on around the world under the auspices of the Presbyterian Church. Every day. And every day I read that as part of my morning devotions. And the cumulative effect is you fall in love with the Presbyterian Church because there is so much amazing ministry and mission going on around the world under the auspices of our denomination, which you financially support. So, some strategies for dealing with the anxieties of the day. Now first, this is a story that Nora shared with you from my sermon a year ago. I'm going to share it again. Bears repeating. Now let me say, this story does not help in the case of tragedy, of death. But for most of the things that bug us and worry us, I found it to be really helpful. It's the story of the Chinese farmer or the Zen farmer. This farmer owns this beautiful prized stallion. Somebody leaves the barn door open, the far, the, the, not, not the barn, the horse runs away. And the neighbors run over to commiserate, oh, what bad luck, that beautiful horse, we're so sorry. And the farmer says, well, we don't know yet if it's bad luck or not. The next day, the horse comes back with five wild mares. <laughs> neighbors rush over, oh, what good luck. Well, we don't know yet whether it's good luck. Following day, the farmer's 18-year-old son is trying to gentle one of the horses. He's thrown off, breaks his leg. Oh, what bad luck, say the neighbors. Well, we don't know yet if it's bad luck. The following day, the army comes through conscripting all able-bodied young men. <laughs> day after day. We don't know yet. I think of a job that I really wanted and thought I was going to be offered and I wasn't. Most of the time I was okay with that thinking, well, God's got something better in mind. This one I really wanted. I was devastated. The person who got that pastoral position just had a horrible time. Thank you, God. <laughs> I'm sorry for her, but I'm so thankful for me. And I've heard that from parishioners through the years, people who've lost their jobs and were devastated. And a year later said, man, I love my new job. I never would have had the guts to quit my old one, but I'm in such a better position. now." Again, doesn't work for tragedies, but for lesser things to remember that. And I think perhaps even the situation we've just been through Will there be something really good that comes out of this? We don't know yet. Second, to restate the obvious, a big part of why we feel overwhelmed is the 24-hour news cycle. So turn it off. 
once in a while or quite a while. Um, you know, back a few years ago with the political situation, I just had to stop listening to NPR. Got so bad I was turning to country music. So sometimes turn off the news, go out into nature, and breathe deeply like Jesus did. Many of you already know this wonderful poem by Wendell Berry, The Peace of Wild Things. When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds, I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and am free. The Apostle Paul reminds us to focus on the positive. If I invited each of you to share one story of something you are doing for someone else or someone else is doing for you, had you stand up and tell us, we'd be here till Thursday. Very joyful hours. Third way to combat despair. About a year and a half ago, I vowed to myself to try something new. I decided to stop speaking ill of people with whom I disagree politically. So far, I've been pretty successful, not perfectly, pretty successful in not speaking ill of them, and I'm redoubling my prayer for God's blessing upon them. She said to love our enemies and pray for them. I don't know if it has helped them, but it has helped me. And fourth, the promise of heaven. As you certainly know, I am not one of the pie in the sky, don't worry about this world sort of people. But that ultimate promise does give me great peace. We know how this journey ends. And finally, these words of Jesus. Late in Matthew's gospel, as the forces of darkness are closing in upon Jesus, he gives this word of encouragement to his followers. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Friends, I still believe, love wins. Amen. As a church located on Lakota land in Minnetonka, Minnesota, St. Luke is a joyful, inclusive, intergenerational, and compassionate community on a spiritual journey seeking to do justice, make peace, and to walk humbly with God. 
We invite you to join us live for virtual worship each Sunday morning on Facebook or YouTube, or by following the worship links on our website, stluke.mn. Thanks for listening. May you go in peace.